You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is called The Bottomless Pit. What a weird title. Hello, my radio friends. Nice to be with you again. Hey, God loves you, and don't you forget it, because it's true. Many people have the wrong idea about God. They see him as a stern, vengeful tyrant, and that idea is totally wrong. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4.16 that God is love. If you take the time to read your Bible, especially the New Testament, time and time again you will read about God's eternal love and his efforts to save sinners from eternal death. Eventually, however, it is necessary to clear the universe of sin and bring about the final destruction of Satan and the evil angels, as well as unrepentant sinners. This cleansing of the universe of sin and sinners is called God's strange act. We find this expression in Isaiah twenty-eight twenty-one, where it says, For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perizim, he shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Why is it strange? Well, because God has been involved in saving, rectifying, redeeming, and restoring damaged people. But this is the opposite. This will be an act of destruction. In some of our more recent programs, we've been looking at some of the prophecies of Daniel. Some of those prophecies have been fulfilled and some have been about end times. Earlier in the series, we looked at how sin entered the world. It was all because of a rebel angel, Lucifer, who, with his followers, was evicted from heaven. Lucifer came to planet Earth and tricked Adam and Eve into disobeying God and obeying him. Since then, the human race has been sinful and without any hope of eternal life unless God did something about it. That is where God's love shines bright. Jesus, who was God, put aside his royal position and came to this sinful earth and took the punishment, death, of sinful human beings so that they might have eternal life. The Bible is not silent about the fate of Satan, and God has revealed other future events through the prophecies of the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation. 
This is an exciting book. Many ministers in many churches avoid revelation because they do not understand it. It is a revelation, as it says right at the beginning, of Jesus Christ and presents Christ not so much as a lamb that was slain for our sins, but presents him victorious as a king and conqueror. Revelation chapter 20 is entitled The Thousand Years and it describes Satan's end. John writes this, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the abyss, or translated in some versions as the bottomless pit, and holding in his hand a chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, He threw him into the bottomless pit and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free a short time. Before going on, we need to understand what and when all this is about. There are some people, of course, who deny the existence of Satan, the devil. I honestly have no idea how they can explain his existence away, as the Bible leaves in no doubt that he is a personality, a supernatural being. You will notice that four names are used in Revelation 20, verse 2, to identify him. The names are the dragon, that ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. There's no question about who he is. The same names are used in Revelation 12.9. Dragon, ancient serpent, devil, Satan. The powerful angel coming down from heaven has two things, a key and a chain to bind Satan in prison. Let me say here that these are symbols, but describe what happens to Satan. Up until this time, Satan has free reign on the earth, deceiving the unwise and causing people to sin. And of course, he has a lot of helpers with him. During the time on earth, he has caused nothing but trouble. There is not one good thing he has done. What he has done has only led to death, disease, disaster and deception. When Jesus comes to collect the saints at his second coming, human life on this planet will cease. There will be a terrible earthquake and destruction that has never been witnessed on earth ever before. Revelations chapter 16 verses 18 to 21 tells of this time. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. 
God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each, that's about fifty kilos, fell upon men. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. There will be no human life on earth after these events. Satan will have no one to tempt. He will be bound to planet earth and will not be allowed to leave. This will be his prison. He will not be able to deceive the nations any more, as there will be no one left to deceive. This, the Bible says, will go on for a thousand years. When you read this chapter, that's number 20 of Revelation, when you reach verse 4, the scene changes from what is happening on earth to what will go on in heaven. We'll read verses 4 and 5. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is the second time the period of a thousand years is mentioned one mention of being on earth and the other in heaven where Christ is. So what is going on in heaven? The righteous dead, some of whom have been brutally martyred, and also those righteous people who were living at the return of Jesus are in heaven. There is a judgment scene and people are in the process of judging. But you would have thought that judgment was finished as the righteous have already been taken to heaven and the wicked who were left on earth had been destroyed by the tremendous destruction caused by the earthquake and the hail. Many Bible scholars understand that God's judgment itself is being judged or reviewed. And that is quite understandable, as many of the saved saints would probably have questions as to why certain people were missing from heaven, or possibly even why some were there. God is willing for others to examine his judgments. There will be no changes, as God is a just judge, and all the questions will be answered. In verses 5 and 6, thousand years is mentioned twice more. Verses 5 and 6 say, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them but they will be priests of God and of Christ 
and will reign with him for a thousand years. So it appears that the saints during this thousand year period of time are privileged and are given the royal treatment in heaven. But did you notice that the text mention a first resurrection and a second death? Now while you contemplate that, I'm going to play you another piece of music. This is also by the English Chorale. didn't know it, that's one of the Negro spirituals which this particular group enjoys singing. Just before the break, I asked you the question, did you notice that the texts texts mention a first resurrection and a second death? Obviously, the first resurrection occurs when Jesus comes and the dead saints are raised to life to go home with Jesus to heaven. You can read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. We've dealt with this 
in a previous program. But what is this business about a second death? You can't have a second death without a resurrection before it. As we read on, the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Verses 7 to 9 say, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. At the end of the thousand years, there must be a resurrection of all the wicked people on earth, those who chose to ignore God and those who rejected salvation through Jesus Christ. If that was not the case, Satan would still be in his prison of circumstances, as there would be no one to influence, no nations, nor anyone alive on earth. Then the Bible says this huge myriad of people from everywhere, that's what Gog and Magog means, march across the land with one purpose in mind, to surround the city, the camp of God's people, to attack it. This activity obviously takes place on earth. But where did the city come from? In the next chapter, it's Revelation 21 in verse 2, the prophet John, describing what he saw in vision, says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. What John saw was the home of God in heaven, the city named the New Jerusalem, come down to earth. This was the city mentioned a few verses previously. So, this is the situation at this point of time. Satan is released from his prison because the wicked dead people are resurrected at the same time. Satan rallies them to go to attack the holy city which has settled on earth. And then what? We saw in a previous program that there will be an occasion when everyone, bar none, will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. It is the opinion of many good Bible scholars that this time will be when all the wicked surround the city. Those who surround the city had their chance for salvation, but chose to reject Jesus. Those inside the city chose to honour Jesus in their lives and are safe. Following this, God's strange act occurs. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 it says And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God makes an end of Satan and his associates. Verse 11 
Now, here we have something which looks like it supports the doctrine of an ever-burning hell. But there are two problems with this. Number one, what takes place takes place on this planet, Earth. Number two, how can something burn forever and ever? We actually dealt with this issue in the program about hell. In Jude 10, it speaks about Sodom and Gomorrah being an example of something that burnt forever and ever, or eternally. Anyone who's visited where Sodom and Gomorrah once stood knows that there is no continuous fire. In fact, there is no fire at all. Everything was burnt up, and the fire has gone out long ago. Forever and ever can mean eternally, or it can also mean for as long as it lasts. There is another problem, and that concerns God. God's intention is to rid the universe of sin, not to keep an everlasting reminder of it. Somewhere, somewhere on the earth he will recreate new. Unfortunately, a wrong impression is gained about this phrase because of difficulties encountered in translating. Sometimes the new language does not have the right words to express what in this case aeus, aeonus, aeonin means. So forever and ever is the best expression that could be given in English. But unless one compares other scriptures to see what they have to say about a particular subject, wrong conclusions may be drawn. Now John takes us to another scene in the vision. It's a kind of a flashback. It's recorded in verses 11 to 15. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated upon it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found in, written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the fire. John's vision now reverts to a judgment scene, but there is also the carrying out of the sentence. This is where resurrected sinners experience the second death. In vision, John sees books, records of people's lives. In there is recorded what each person has done. The judgment is fair and is based on records. 
God's judgment must be fair and just because he is just and fair. Nothing has been left to chance. So detailed records have been kept of the lives of everyone who has ever lived. That includes me and it includes you. But there is another book, the book of life. If your name appears in the book of life, there is nothing to fear because it means you will inherit eternal life. It does not necessarily mean you've done lots of good things, but it does mean that you have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that you serve and honour him. You could probably think of it as the book where all the passes have been recorded. For some, all of this is good news. For others, it is bad news. I know that there is a belief floating around where you hear at funeral services that people, when they die, go immediately to heaven. This is not a teaching that has any Bible support. Recently, one of my neighbours died. He was a decent sort of a chap and we were good friends. Often I would go across the street and have a chat with him and sometimes he would come over to our place and we would chat there. My neighbour was not a religious person and did not seem to care whether there was a God or not. As far as I know, he never committed his life to the Lord Jesus. I was asked to speak at his funeral but was also asked not to say anything religious because my neighbour was not interested in salvation and eternal life. I know this because I spoke to him about it once before, but he was not interested. But at the funeral, I heard that he was already in heaven. I thought this to be very odd. Now that my neighbour had died, he was supposedly up in heaven, although he had not shown any interest in the things of God during his life. The idea that when people die they immediately go to God is a false teaching, and many people have been misled because of it. There will be two groups of people. people. First, there are those who have accepted the offer of salvation. They have asked to have their sins forgiven through the merits of Jesus Christ. Their names will be in the book of life. Then there is the other group who have disregarded God, uh, Christ's offer of forgiveness and eternal life. Their records are in the book of records, but not in the book of life. They will be destroyed along with Satan and all his helpers. So, for each person there will be a decision to make. It boils down to choosing life or choosing death. I think this is a no-brainer. Who would choose eternal death when there is eternal life to be had? I've made my choice. What about you? Are you willing to say yes to Jesus, to ask for forgiveness for what you've done wrong, 
Are you willing to live in harmony with him and be obedient to what he requires? Don't be afraid. Go to Jesus. He loves you and he wants your company now and eternally. After all, he died for you. Time is up for this week, but may I suggest you read Revelation 20 for yourself. Maybe you could consider that to be your homework for this week. But in the meantime, I wish you God's blessings, peace and happiness. And I look forward to your company again next week.